Welcome to Political Sack, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, and here with me, Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What is up, Todd? Hey, Corey. I'm, I'm a little tired because I was in Delta, Utah, all to the wee hours of the night last night. <laughs> and we want to hear every bit about it because this stuff is just so much fun. But we've got some huge news in the ra- race to replace retiring Congressman Chris Stewart. Delegates from the 2nd Congressional District, including Todd, held a special election on Saturday down in Delta, Utah, and the balloting extended five rounds. Former Utah House Speaker Greg Hughes held a solid lead after each of the first four ballots. But on the final ballot, Dark Horse candidate Celeste Malloy eked out a narrow victory with 52.1% of the vote. And so she will be the only candidate advancing from the convention And that's because in a special election situation, you only need a majority to clinch rather than the usual 60% to ensure that no other candidate advances to the primary. So had this been a usual usual convention, both of them would advance. But in this one, only she gets to advance. And that means that not only did Greg Hughes lose this special convention, he's also eliminated from the primary unless he chooses to collect signatures, which it looks like he won't. A couple others will, and you can tell us about it, Todd. But first... As you mentioned, you were there as a voting delegate. Tell us all the dirty details. We want to hear it. Well, first of all, a lot of people are like, why in the world is this convention being held like a week and a half after the special session? And why is it being held in Delta, Utah, of all places? Well, first of all, um, the ballots for the September 5th primary have to be mailed out 45 days before September 5th pursuant to federal law. So you do the math. Those ballots need to be pretty much, you know, printed in the mail in the next week or two. And so we have to give the county clerks time to know who's going to be on that ballot. Um, And, you know, the convention could have maybe been pushed back another week, but then you run into the 4th of July. And and so I think it was appropriate to hold it. I mean, it took several hours with five rounds of voting. Second of all, this district, Corey, runs from Farmington down to the Arizona border south of St. George. And... um, I read that the, the boundaries of this district, and this is, you know, just goes to show how big of a state Utah is. The boundaries of CD2 are bigger than four, you know, geographically than 14 states. Oh, wow. Like Rhode wow. Island and, you know, those Holy states God. back there are pretty small in the, in the northeast of the country. So, um, so Delta was kind of, you know, it was a two-hour drive, two-hour and 10-minute drive for me from um, Bountiful. It's probably a two-and-a-half to, uh, to, 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 you know, drive from um, St. George. So it made kind of sense. And here's a kind of a feel-good story. Um, a lot of these high schools, when we rent them for a political convention, they'll charge us three or $4,000, sometimes more, sometimes a little bit less. Delta High School let the state Republican Party use that facility for free. And they were, they were set to uh, redo, like, the, the floors in the gymnasium. You know how they, like, strip them and redo them? Oh, yeah. Steal them. They were set to do that this weekend. So they're like, ah, we'll put it off for a week for you guys. Wow. So it was a great facility. Um, and we had, you know, we had 790 delegates credentialed, which was amazing for a, a convention that was announced like two weeks ago. And, you know, amazing that people had to drive that far. So it, it was it was well run. Rob Axon is the new um, state party chair. And I got to observe him conducting the state central committee meeting that was in the morning and then the convention he was phenomenal. I'm really, really impressed with him. I think he was the vice chair of the party under um, Derek Brown four years ago and just did a, a fabulous job, just was really clear on explaining what we're doing and 
of course, if both the state central committee meeting and in the in the convention, there's always a motion to 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 do all the rounds by paper ballots, and there's always someone that stands up and says, "I was up last night, and I've cut all the I've got three thousand uh, pieces of paper here, all cut up for ballots." So first of all, um, I mean, we had 790 people voting in five rounds. Could you imagine how long it would have taken to just collect and count the paper ballots? Second of all, what you know, so we were scanning the UPC code that was unique to each voter, and it, you you would get you you get a a, a screenshot uh, verifying your vote. You could take your UPC and print out all your votes, check all your votes. I don't know how somebody thinks a paper ballot when I could. If I could get two ballots, I could write, you know, Greg Hughes down twice, you know, or if somebody next to me left and left their ballot, I could cast it. So, you know, in any event, um, and why would the party take some ballots that some stranger just walked off the street and said, hey, I've got I've got all these ballots ready for you, you know, here you go. Um, but we get this motion every convention, and so it was rejected in the SEC, it was rejected, but we spent like a half an hour debating it, it's just, just ridiculous, but um, to the merits of the case, um, and I'm I'm a nerd, right? Um, but when the very first round uh, of votes came out, I knew that Greg Hughes was in trouble. Now I've tweeted yesterday morning, and I've been saying for two weeks, I think this is Greg Hughes's race to to lose. Uh, he was clearly a front runner. He had the name ID and everything else. But when uh, when the first um, round of voting was done. He had 28% of the vote, actually 28.5% of the vote. I thought he needed about 40% on the first round because as I looked at the other candidates, I'm just going to use an extreme example. So Becky Edwards only had 5% of the vote and that was 37 votes. So how many of Becky Edwards uh, voters are going to turn around and change their vote to Greg Hughes once Becky's out? Zero, right? Zero. Zero. And so I, I'm using that to make my point. When I started looking at who was in the in, in the race, I was thinking, yeah, Bill Hoster, the mayor of Leeds, you know, he he ran a really, really, really far right campaign. You know, his voters are going to go to um, uh, uh, Greg Hughes most likely. And there was a guy named Quinn. Um, where's Quinn? There was a guy named Quinn uh, Dixon or something like that. Oh, Quinn Denning. He was running really, really far right. I'm thinking, okay, Greg's going to get his votes. But what was interesting, so Greg had 28%, 28.5%. Celeste had over 24% on the first round. So she was just barely below him. And then Jordan Hess had 149 votes. So he was at tw over 20, just over 20%. And so if you took Celeste and Jordan together, they could collectively had 44% and Greg only had 28%. Well, here, here's the thing. Celeste and Jordan, number one, they both live in the district. And number two, they both have strong ties to Washington County. And Washington County is kind of the, uh, the, 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 the seat of this district. And they really, really, really want to have, uh, we've never had a congressman or woman elected from Southern Utah. And so I immediately looked at that and I thought, if Jordan goes out first and his votes go primarily to Celeste, she's going to win. I, I thought I was telling people that two hours before it happened. Mm. Or if Jordan leapfrogged her in subsequent balloting, if Celeste goes out, her votes are going to go to Jordan. They're not primarily going to go to Greg Hughes. Well, that's ultimately exactly what happened. It took us five rounds to get here. But here's the amazing thing. Um, uh, before the last round of voting, and by the way, they do this interesting rule 
So I think the Hughes campaign thought that there would be two more rounds, but they dropped out two candidates um, on the on the second to last round. So I thought because the candidates got to come out for a minute in between. And you could kind of tell Greg Hughes was off his game because his last speech that he gave for a minute or so, he was responding to attacks um, and rumors that he was hearing in between the rounds of voting. You know, never a good strategy for a candidate in a convention. Mm -hmm. You actually, I mean, the the unwritten rule is you actually give credence to an attack when you, uh, you know, publicize it by repeating it and then responding to it. So I really, I could tell that he was rattled and I'm sure he's smart enough that, you know, like that, that I am, as I am to, to know that this, this wasn't looking good for him on the final round. But um, I think he was going to come out. I heard a rumor. I shouldn't repeat this, that he was going to kind of come out and attack Celeste because she's been living in DC working for um, Chris Stewart for the last four years. So his supporters were kind of whispering, well, she's not really a resident of Utah. She's really a resident of DC now because when she's in Utah, you know, she stays with her sister in Cedar City. So I think she has a place in DC and then she lives with her sister. But you know what? If a, if a missionary leaves uh, and goes on a mission, they, they use their parents' address, but they're still a registered voter in Utah. So you don't lose your residency when you go to work in DC, especially when you're working with a Utah congressman on behalf of Utah. So I think that's a bit of a silly argument. Now, if she's registered to vote in DC or in Virginia, you know, then, then I think we have something to talk about, but I'm not going to criticize her. And Jordan Hess had worked in DC for a number of years, as have you. And so, but that was their attack was she's, she's swampy. She's DC swampy because she works in DC, but she's working in DC to fight for our federal lands here in Utah. And so, so I thought that was interesting. The, a real surprise of the convention was Henry Christian Eyring. He, of course, the third, he's the grandson of um, a member of the first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and has the same name. Now, he, he started off with 8% of the vote and he dropped every round. Interestingly, Greg Hughes and Celeste and Jordan, they increased votes every round. Every other candidate, even the ones that stayed in, you know, to the fourth round, they decreased votes every single round. Um, so, um, uh, you know, so anyways... So Henry Real Christian, quick, a fast note here. I mean, I, I yeah. didn't follow Henry Eyring's campaign, and so I don't want to completely defame him, but it does go to show you how how important name ID really, how far it goes. Because I mean, if his name was Harry Henry Johnson, like he wouldn't have gotten the vote, probably. So. Well, yeah, and you know, he got <laughs> sixty votes. Becky Edwards only had thirty-seven votes, and she actually recruited delegates last year against Mike Lee. So you know, no, no, none of these other candidates had the chance to recruit delegates. But I'm going to tell you, I don't think it was just the fact that he shares a name with his grandfather. Um, he was really speaking from the heart. He was a very yeah. sincere guy. And I, I will tell you, he's a law professor at Duke is what his resume says. But he was really nervous. But I think it almost people could tell he was nervous, but it almost like made you like kind of be rooting for him a little bit. <laughs> So anyways, I, I think Henry Eyring may have a future. He floated his name, I think, for Utah governor last year, or I, I've heard his name floated before this cycle. So he's really young. He looked like he was like 14, but, you know, he's got a couple of kids and a PhD, I think. So uh, I think he impressed a lot of people. So um, so so there you go. In any event, uh, I want to just touch on one other thing. There was a state central committee meeting that started um, several hours before the convention at the same location. And um, Jordan Hess had been state party 
state GOP vice chair, he had to resign from that position to run for Congress. And for whatever reason, they decided they had to fill it yesterday morning. If they would have waited another day, he could have run for his old position back because obviously he lost. But um, so Kim Coleman uh, was elected as the new vice chair of the party. She's, of course, Kim the Crusher Coleman. She's got a podcast and um, and she's a former legislator. So she's pretty well known. She got 84 percent of the vote over Olivia Don Horlocker or Williams, um, who who had been the state party secretary, but lost her reelection. And then um, there's a position on the RNC, the Republican National Committee, called National Committee Men. Each state gets the party chair, a National Committee woman, and a National Committee man on the RNC. And Bruce Huff has been in that position um, for the last several years. So he had to resign from the um, National Committee Man to run. And, um, and so they had like five candidates, and they ended up in a 73-73 vote tie between Brad Bonham and Gunnar Thoridson. I'm not saying his last name correctly. So that one's going to get taken up again in August. And do you know Mike Deaver? He was in the race for that, but he got eliminated um, right before the final. Mike, I don't know. Gunnar, I do know. Yeah. So um, so if Gunnar wins that, that's going to be kind of interesting. He's, uh, he's uh, a bit of a Facebook critic of Republicans who aren't... Uh, as libertarian leaning as he is, uh, that's the nice. Yeah, so he works, or he's affiliated with the Charlie Kirk group. I think it's called Target Point. Turning Point. Yeah. Turning Point. Yeah, that's right. Turning Point. So. Yeah, and he talked a lot about that. You know, and he's a tall, handsome guy, and he's pretty well spoken. But um, you know, with National Committee man, you want someone who's going to be kind of an ambassador, a diplomat from the state of Utah, and um, their real job is like electing the, uh, you know. The Ronald McDaniels of the world and deciding where the conventions are going to be. You know, they're not setting policy. They're not telling the president, you know, what to do or what to say in their campaigns and things like that. So um, Bruce was actually kind of perfect for that job. And Thomas Wright's been our national committee man as well. Um, and, and it's also a job where you have to fly to four or five, six meetings a year around the country on your own dime. So I, I was telling people, some of the people running for that post, I know, I know they're not personally wealthy. I'm like, how how are you going to spend $12,000 a year on travel? That's mm. not reversed. Reverse. Yeah, I wonder if they do that. I, before so, the Wi-Fi cut out, I forgot to tell you. So on the final round, um, um, Jordan Hess got up and threw his support at the convention um, to Celeste Malloy. So she won by 5%, but that was like 30, 37 votes or so is all she won by. And um, his um, his campaign manager told me after the convention that her polling showed that his votes probably would have gone to Greg Hughes. And so a lot of Hughes supporters this morning are mad at Jordan Hess that he threw his support to Celeste instead of to Greg. But again, I think it was a geographic thing. I think um, Jordan and Celeste were both kind of running saying we need a representative from Southern Utah. And so, uh, and of course, Greg did not live in the district. So all of that was fascinating to watch. At the end of this convention, it felt like I had been through a Super Bowl game and like the the underdog came back at in over overtime and won the game. <laughs> Excuse me. And so where do we go from here? We're gonna have a primary. And like we said, we mentioned because this is a special election, only one candidate can advance, and that is gonna be Celeste Malloy. And then uh any and then 
in the primary, you'll also have anyone who collects signatures, which Becky Edwards said she's going to, and we expect Bruce Huff will as well. So yeah, he is. Um, Bruce Huff told me last night that he already has over 5,000 signatures. Wow. So he's only got a week and a half left, but he only has 2,000 to go. And I, I heard some criticism of Bruce because I, I've heard that he's brought in some professional signature gatherers from Texas. I think he's paying a lot of money. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up paying about $200,000 for signatures. But yeah, so Bruce, I expect Bruce Huff and Becky Edwards will be on the ballot with uh, Celeste Malloy. Celeste is a wonderful girl. I, I know her. Um, I, I like her. I think she'd be good in Congress, but she's not personally wealthy. Um, so she's going to have to raise a lot of money. Um, Becky Edwards, her husband is a surgeon. In fact, uh, he's the son of Lavelle Edwards and Bruce Huff is personally wealthy. And so you might see a situation where you see Bruce and Becky up on TV commercials this summer in August and, and Celeste isn't because she doesn't have the, you know, the money to compete that way. So that this, you know, remember the last time we had a special election for the house, um, Chris Harrod won the, the convention, but John Curtis was able to raise more money and win the, uh, as a signature gatherer and win the seat. And we might see kind of that kind of history repeat itself so, if Bruce Huff or Becky Edwards wins. Yeah, and this really just goes to the ongoing debate about SB 54 because and it's a point that, um, that several people have made, which is like a lot of, I mean, I, I'm, I'm among them that want to preserve the, the convention system. One, one difficulty we face though is signature gatherers you know, these are often the more wealthy candidate and, you know, the whole purpose of the convention is to get the party behind you, but then the party has no money. Right. And I, and I think for, for whatever good Carson did, like raising money, you know, probably wasn't one of them. And so we're not no. in a position, the party's not really in a position to put their weight behind their nom the nominee. And so, you know, Celeste is basically needs to raise it on her own and, that's going to be interesting because I, I don't expect that a, a congressional staffer who probably makes a hundred thousand dollars a year is going to, you know, be able to put commercials on for, you know, 400 K. No. Yeah. And so she's got an uphill battle and unlike Greg Hughes and Becky Edwards, you know, her name ID is fairly low. Now today, you know, she was in all the newspapers and so her name ID is going to, you know, it, it can go nowhere, but up, you know, starting from yesterday and um, she, she's a lovely person and it's going to be fascinating to watch. I, you know, I, um, you know, what I'd like to see the party do uh, is to make winning the convention worthwhile. And that means mobilizing the delegates. And so I sent an email to, to, to uh, Rob Axon this morning. I said, you know, instead of the party trying to punish people that gather signatures, they ought to try to reward people who win right. at the convention. I said, every one of these delegates should be asked to put a Celeste Malloy sign in their yard. Every one of these delegates should be asked to pass her literature around their precincts. And um, you know, the state central committee is going to meet in August. They should, after their meeting, they should go out and knock doors for her for an hour. I mean, and I've never seen the party. I've seen the party, the SEC, we knocked doors for Mia Love once, but um, generally speaking, you know, the party is full of people that kind of want a bully pulpit, but they don't want to go out and, and do the, the dirty work. Of well, and I, I think I'll, what I've seen, and you and I are in a lot of these groups, and I'm in probably more of them than you are but um, at this point, but uh, what I've seen is a lot of people who are upset that Celeste won. And so there's still a lot of anger, you know, in, in 
making the argument that you you mentioned, which is she doesn't actually live in Utah and that kind of thing. I'm not going to get into that except just to say, I, it doesn't look to me like people are mobilizing behind her. And I understand if you're upset that Greg Hughes didn't win. You know, I have my own views too, but um, but if we want a strong convention delegate system, then you've got to put up. We got to say like this is our nominee. Yeah. Otherwise, like it's just a lot of talk. It really, honestly, is. Yeah, the same people on the same keyboard warriors on Facebook who are always placing their hand over their heart and saying that they love the caucus convention system are the people now upset that Greg didn't win. <laughs> and, you know, Celeste Malloy is conservative. So was Jordan Hess. But I've seen most of the vitriol kind of aimed at Jordan Hess because I think yeah. they realized had he endorsed Greg Hughes on the final ballot, Greg Hughes would have won. And you know, again, we're looking at Greg Hughes. He's a registered lobbyist who doesn't live in the congressional district. I mean, if you ask someone from Virginia or Vermont, if you think that person would win at a convention, they'd say no without knowing the personalities. And so uh, it's not a big shock that geography worked against Greg when he doesn't even live in the district. And the yeah. chose someone that lived in the district. So, I, I mean, I have family that lives in the district. And uh, I was surprised that, I, I mean, I, I figured they would line up right behind Greg Hughes, but yeah, when I asked them, just kind of out of the blue, and they were kind of like, you know, they, they mentioned the Inland in the District, they mentioned the uh, Inland Port um, stuff, like they were concerned Greg's about that. So I was kind of surprised. So, I, you know, he, maybe he didn't have as strong a backing as I would have assumed he would. What I, what I felt at the convention, Corey, was the people that were for Greg they were 100% for Greg and they were ready to fight anybody that wasn't for Greg. The people that were not for, you know, and there was almost an equal amount of people that were just against Greg. And it was kind of a, there was an anybody but Greg Hughes crowd there yesterday as well. Really? So. Well, that's interesting. So uh, one, I think one strand that we left was you, the national committee, man, it, uh, it ended in the 73, 73 tie. Yeah, so the state central committee will take up that issue um, at their next meeting in August. So my guess is they'll try to break the tie somehow. And you'll probably have, you know, the state central committee has an 800 and I'm sorry, 180 members. And there was about 140 something out of them there. So it was a pretty good turnout for that group. So, uh, I mean, they could take that vote again in August and it could be 65, 40. I mean, depending on who's in the room. So okay. I don't know what's going to happen. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's just leave it there because that was fun and that was an interesting talk, uh, conversation and uh, we have some other stuff that we can talk about, but we might as well carry that to next week. All right. We'll see you next week okay. then. Thanks a bunch, Todd. Thanks, Corey. Bye-bye.